welcome to Ragbag's Fourth Wall. My name's Frank Burton, the real Frank Burton, not the fictional one that you've been listening to for the last three years. So um, I do sound like him, don't I? I've got the same voice. Uh, I've actually got the same face as him as well. So it's rather confusing that I am a different person. So we'll get into that shortly. Yeah, so this is, uh, strictly speaking, this is the first time that I have presented this show as myself. I've been in character for the last three years, and um, yeah, this is uh, the first time I've broken the fourth wall, so to speak, hence the name of the episode, Ragbag's Fourth Wall. And yeah, I mean, I do sound like him, don't I? I've got the same, <laughs> I've got the same voice, and um, there, there are areas of overlap between me and fictional Frank. I don't know how many people who listen to the show know this, but I have a completely different background and a completely different backstory to Fictional Frank. So I've released two books of Frank's fake autobiography so far, and the first two of many, hopefully. I've written the third one. And um, yeah, so these are all about Frank's life. Um, Frank is, if you've read the books, you will know that he is an only child and his father went missing in 2000. <laughs> his father, Frank Burton Sr., who is not a real person, went missing in uh, 2004 and all sorts of details like this uh, anyway. And, uh, and he's, a sing- he's a single man who lives in a van. So this is what we know about fictional Frank Burton. I've got a completely different life to him, really. I'm, I'm married, I've got two children, I live in a house. He's He's been single most of his life. I have been with uh, my partner for 20 years, would you believe? 20 years! It's mad. Um, we got together in... Um, oh my God, when did we get together? 2001. Yeah, so it's now 2021. And we're we're uh, still hanging on in there, you know. Um, so there you have it. All, all this kind of business with uh, Frank being obsessed with his uh, ex girlfriend—that that is again—that's not a real person. Uh, there is no such person as Uncle Claude. <laughs> I, I hate to have to break this to people because um, I've put a lot of effort into making it sound like Uncle Claude is a real person. Um, he's not a real person. Um, he does not exist. <laughs> Uh, it's a shame to have to say it out loud, um, but but there you go. Um, you know, other things that I've made up. Um, I have never met Benedict Cumberbatch, and uh, I'm pretty sure Benedict Cumberbatch doesn't know who I am either. Um, <laughs> but I would like one day for someone. Uh, eventually, this is going to come to his attention, hopefully, because I'm really hang. I'm really drilling away at this um, narrative of me and Benedict Cumberbatch being friends. And, uh, you know, as you will know, if you're a long term listener, it started with Benedict being a fan of the show and he would write in to Frank and Frank wouldn't know who Benedict was. So there was something, you know, a little bit of a, a comedic element there. And then eventually they, they met and uh, Benedict was allowed onto the show, but he wasn't allowed to speak and um, all that sort of thing. And eventually I uh, I got Benedict to present an episode of the show and um <laughs> i mean you know it was my friend dave Hellwood who did a very good job i mean it's it kind of you know 
I don't mind saying, I mean, a few people were fooled into thinking it was the real Benedict Cumberbatch. But, um, you know, that wasn't the intention. It's not my intention to kind of fool people into thinking that I am this character and that these things have really happened to me. And that, you know, Benedict is real. And, you know, and Uncle Claude is a real person. It's just, um, it's, so I'm not trying to trick people is what I'm trying to say. I'm, try, I'm creating this kind of fictional world you know that these are the characters that inhabit that world that's that's the way it goes if people think it's real that, i think that's great and and people have thought that it was real you know and um, i think because i'm using my own name i guess if i was using a different name and if i was more clear in terms of you know i called myself something else and uh i'd put it in the credits that you know st- uh you know featuring frank burton as this character blah 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 but I mean, I do say in in the podcast description, it says that Ragbag is presented by the fictional character Frank Burton. So I thought I'd cover myself with that, but I'd, not necessarily everybody reads the <laughs> not necessarily everyone reads the description. I guess I don't know if you can tell this, but it's me doing the voice of, of Uncle Claude. It's, it's, it's me. It's all right, Frank. Oh, it's me. That's that's me doing that. <laughs> but um, it's uh. I, as I say, I've put a lot of effort into um, making it sound like he's a real person because I edit it so that, you know, quite often they're talking over top of each other. And, you know, they even sang songs together, you know, Frank and Claude, of that the voices have, have been together in song <laughs> and in in uh, various different arguments and so on. Um, but uh, just uh, testament to my amazing editing skills i mean you could probably tell that i'm doing the voice for sick and Ball steve but he sick and Ball steve kind of sounds he's got a, a more similar sort of sounding voice to me because it's on the same sort of uh red it's like on the same register you know it's on the same sort of pitch as as frank but uh you know a slightly different accent and it's got a lot more nasal sort of quality to the voice you know um but you know again uh uh, maybe maybe people have been fooled by that i'm not sure people have said you know pe- people have corresponded with me and and said things like you know say hello to your uncle claude for me <laughs> and it, i don't know whether they're joking i don't know whether they think he's a real person or whether they're just playing along with the game i don't know difficult to well yeah La- uh, uh, get in touch by the way uh, <laughs> all the shout outs are fake as well i mean it i, I ought to po- point this out because i think I think sometimes people aren't sure what to make of it. That um, So Frank reads these shout-outs out on the podcast, and they're all, script, they're, they're all from fictional characters. It's a fictional character interacting with another fictional character. Um, but if you're a kind of a casual listener and you hear some of the things that I say to these and the way that I respond to the shout-outs, you know, quite often I'm very rude um to these to these people and if if you just assume that it's all real then i I guess that you know it might be a little bit uh uncomfortable listening i guess i don't know um i don't know how it comes across necessarily i'm just having fun really it's it's just a bit of a laugh you know and um i I hope i haven't offended anybody um (laughs) maybe I i don't know difficult to know anyway this um ragbag's fourth wall thing is going to be going on for quite some time um because I'm, this episode i'm going to be playing out this compilation of of different clips so i've got a top 10 of the best bits of the last three years which is very exciting isn't it so 
Um, it's not a definitive list by any means. It's just something that I've put together. I thought of 10 things that I like for the last three years. And I didn't put a great deal of thought into it. I just thought I'll pick the things that I remember. But, you know, um, there's, there's, you know, notable exceptions that, that didn't make it into the list. I mean, there's things that I can't remember having done. You know, this is the thing because we're going on for 100 episodes now and I can't store all of that knowledge in my head I just can't remember some of the stuff that I've done uh, if I listen back to it I can't remember having done it you know and the um one one thing that didn't make the list uh, because I made the list after I discovered this thing but I put it into the remix episode was uh Sycamore St- actually Sycamore Steve didn't make the top 10 at and at any point which is um which is a shame I suppose I mean uh, the character had I feel like that character hasn't really lived up to its full potential. Um, I, I think if I was to develop that character a bit more, then he definitely would be in the top 10. You know, unlike Claude, who features quite heavily in the top 10. But I think Claude's a very um, a well-developed character. And he appears in the books, he appears in the, in the podcast quite often. And he's, he's a very important character in the, in the ragbag world. But we'll come to that. We'll come to that later. Um... But uh, yeah, I discovered uh, from the Sycamore Steve episode where he was talking about Jack the Ripper. And, um, you know, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I was listening back to it. I, I can't remember. I can't remember writing this and I can't remember performing it. I just thought it was really funny. I, uh, you go and listen to the Sycamore Steve. It was called the Sycamore Steve Takeover Part 1. And he's he's talking about, <laughs> he's talking about Jack the Ripper. <laughs> I just thought it was really funny. Um, but, you know, it was me who wrote that and it was me who performed it. I just can't remember having done it. And um, it's nice to discover these things, you know, go back and discover these things. The only reason I listened back was uh, I was picking out things to go in the remix episode. So there you go. But it's it's nice to be able to do this and kind of celebrate uh, all, all, the, all the good times we've had together in Ragbagland over the last... Uh, over the last three going on for four years actually i think started in 2018 and um it's going to be 2022 soon so you know it's more like four years isn't it so here's the top 10 without further ado number 10 so number 10 it's the uh bohemian rhapsody routine (laughs) And I included this in in the top ten because I think purely because I I like the punchline up to the to this routine, um, and it, it's kind of a pleasing. I was I was very pleased with it at the time. I like the there's a kind of a long build up to this very silly punchline, and um, yeah, I I just enjoyed enjoyed doing it, and I thought I'd include it in the top ten. So there we have it. I had another idea for a creative project. I'll explain it to you in a moment, but just to preface the explanation, in a moment I'm going to be using the words in the style of the film Bohemian Rhapsody. Just to explain for anyone who hasn't seen it, Benedict forced me to watch it the other day. I sat through the whole thing and I will confirm it is the worst film ever made. Just to summarise, it's a biopic of... Mr. Fahrenheit. <laughs> that's 
Oh dear. Um, that's a reference to a previous episode, listeners. Uh, you may remember that about a year ago now, I said, next time Mr. Fahrenheit comes up in conversation, I'll make a point of calling him Mr. Fahrenheit. Because he's burning through the sky. Yeah, 200 degrees. That's why they call him. Anyway, it's a um, biopic of Mr. Fahrenheit. And it's done through basically repeating the same joke over and over again in a slightly different guise. It goes something like this. Oh, what's the name of your band then? Queen? Oh, stupid name. No one's going to like that. Oh, wait a minute. People like him. Who's this lead singer you got now then? Oh, what's he calling himself? Freddie Mercury? Oh, what a stupid name. No one's going to like him. Oh, wait a minute. People like him. What's this new song you're working on then? What's this? A fast bit and a slow bit and a comedy opera bit? Stupid idea. That's not going to work. Oh look, it's a big hit. And so it goes on. Smug, self-congratulatory nonsense. And then the band get really successful. And you're thinking, oh right, thank God for that. Now they can stop doing that. This is never going to work. Joke. But they don't. They carry on doing it. All the way up to Live Aid. And when I say Live Aid, what I really mean is, Oh, Bob Geldof's doing some kind of concert for charity or something. Stupid idea. Who thought of that? And so on, until the film mercifully ends. Anyway, here's my idea. A biopic, in the style of the film Bohemian Rhapsody, documenting the life of the person who invented the wheel. So, number nine, uh, this is an extract from the episode uh, called Return of the Claude, which um, I, I was very, very pleased with at the time, and I'm still pleased with it, actually, as well. It was, uh, it, it kind of, um, like I was saying, I think Claude is a character who has been nicely developed over over time. It kind of emerged fully formed, actually. I did. I don't do a lot of uh, improv, really, very much. Uh, most of uh, the ragbag episodes are kind of a hundred percent scripted. But uh, when I did that first um, Uncle Claude episode, which um, he didn't appear in the show until about episode thirty or something, and um, I presented the episode as Uncle Claude, and I hadn't had much of an idea about what I was going to do. You know, I just had an idea that let's have somebody else present the show and let's make it frank's uncle you know like frank's weird uncle and that that was all i didn't have any biographical detail about uh who claude was or anything like that at all i just decided to just make it up as i went along so yeah i just kind of improv pretty much that entire episode was was improvised yeah the character just came out of the box fully formed so that that was a surprise to me and then once he started kind of interacting with frank so that first one was just kind of a claude talking on his own and frank was elsewhere then i did like this kind of phone call between frank and claude where i kind of came up with this idea that i could have them just kind of interrupting each other and talking over each other and you know creating the impression that claude really was a a, a different person to frank it wasn't just me putting a silly voice on you know, and uh, th- then by the time I got to Return of the Claude, um, which is the episode that this extract is taken from, 
they, they kind of uh, yeah, it kind of developed this kind of dynamic between the two of them, which was uh, very interesting. And there's a whole kind of if you read the book, particularly the first book, um, you'll find out more about kind of the backstory of um, you know Claude being Frank's dad's brother, and Frank's dad went went missing in 2004, and Claude felt that. Frank Burton Sr. was not a very good father and he would have done a better job and he's rather envious of his brother because he's ended up not having a family of his own. So there's there's all of that kind of baggage with Claude in that he he thinks very highly of Frank and he, he would like Frank to be his son, but Frank is not his son, he is his brother's son. So yeah, there's, there's all that sort of stuff going on and... Um, there's that kind of tension between the two characters. But, you know, for the most part, I mean, the reason why this this has made the top 10 is that I I enjoyed doing it and I, I kind of made myself laugh. And you, you can actually, I don't often include the bits where I kind of break out in laughter. I, I you know, sometimes I laugh at my own, <laughs> sometimes I just laugh at my own jokes and then cut out the laughter, you know. But this, this one kind of worked out quite nicely, you know. So I just kind of... Um, I left the laughter in because it was an important part of of what was happening. Uh, in, in and the thing is, like when I do the Frank and Claude episodes, that they're, they're all they are actually all improvised. There's no script. Well, there's very rarely any scripted material in the in the Frank and Claude things. I just sort of go with it and let the conversation between these these two guys, <laughs> these two guys who inhabit my head you know because i'm doing both the voices <laughs> so i just let it go where it wants to go i ended up doing like this kind of fake improv well it wasn't a fake improv what i'm trying to say is that i was i was getting these two characters to improvise badly and also i was improvising myself as well so it was um it was an interesting one that but um i, th- I think it came out very nicely so i've included that that is uh Number nine. There you go. What do you think of that? You're asking me to do some acting, acting work. Yeah, just improvise. It's really, really easy. All you've got to do is just imagine that I've slammed your head through the wall and then you react. You know, you do what you would do if that had happened. It's as simple as that. That's all you have to do. And then I'll respond, uh, you know, in the way that I would if I had just slammed your head through the wall. So what are we going to do to build up to this? Would we have some sort of argument or is this going to be a completely unprovoked attack? Yeah, that's interesting, actually. Well, we should have something to build up to it. Yeah, I think. Um, well, as a matter of fact, I do have a bone to pick with you, Frank. Oh, yeah, a bone to pick with me. Nice one. Yeah, crack on with it then. Go on. What, what, what's your bone that you're picking? This, this whole America thing. America? Yeah, America. You keep saying that America doesn't exist. And I, I'm a little bit concerned about this, Frank, because I have been to the United States of America. I know you have not. And therefore, you, you're not sure that it exists. And um, you come up with this whole conspiracy around... Not a conspiracy. It's just I'm saying, how do I know that it exists if I've not been there? And how do I know that, you know, the pictures that people show of it and stuff in books and on the TV and maps and that... How do I know that that's real? Well, I am an eyewitness for you, Frank. I have been to the United States of America. I've been to New York. I've been to Boston. 
I've been to California. I've been all over the place. It's a real place. Yeah, but how do you know that that's where you went? Because it could be like... It could just be like a theme park that somebody's rigged up in a like... You know, mainland Europe it could have been in. Right. You know what I mean? They, they fly the plane. It goes over the ocean. You know what I mean? You can't tell where you are. You, you look out the plane. You say, oh, look, there's the ocean. It could be that the, the plane's just kind of going back round on itself. You wouldn't necessarily notice if it did it at a, 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 a slight angle. On itself. But then brings you back into mainland Europe. They've got this whole theme park that they've rigged up to make it look like, you know, the United States of America, the skyscrapers and that, and Disneyland. Right. And and it's it's just like it in some... in Like a field in Spain or something. You know, it's a big con. If they've made it all up. That's what I think. There's no such place as the United States. I was just saying it now, but you've you've like solidified this in my mind now. It's a big con. There is no such place as the United States of America. And I'm fully aware that according to my computer when I look on it, look at the stats for this show, that most of the people who listen to it, the vast majority, at least ninety five percent of the people who listen to this show are American. Right. And they don't exist either. That's right, I'm talking to you listeners. You're, you're not real. You don't exist. Right. It's as simple as that. And, you know, even the American, you know, people who I've interviewed on this show before, that they're not real either. They're just part of the computer. Frank. As I was talking to them, you know, through uh, through my computer. Frank. And that's the only place that they exist in. They're not real people. Uh. They do not exist. And there is no such place as the United States of America. And matter of fact, the whole continent, Canada, that doesn't exist. Uh, Frank. South America, play a lot of music from there on this show, and I like that music very much. Can you hear me? But South America doesn't exist either. There is no such place as South America, North America, nothing, nothing at all. Listen. There's one big ocean. Christopher Columbus was right in his initial assumption that you could sail from Europe to Asia across okay, the Atlantic right. Ocean. You can. You can do that. If you could just listen. No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not listening to any of your counter-arguments, Uncle Claude. Oh. That you can do it. You can get a boat. You want to try it yourself? Crack on. Go ahead. Get yourself a boat. Go to Spain. Maybe I will. Sail from there. That would be a good point to sail from, yeah? Sail from there. Bash. Eventually, you'll hit Japan or something. Japan? It's, you know... Really? I'm not an expert on the geography side of things. Maybe, maybe you'll, you know, end up in, you know, somewhere else. Indonesia or whatever. Indonesia. But that you definitely will not land in America. Have you finished? Yes, I've finished. I would like to say that I disagree with you. Well, I'm going to slam your head through the wall then. <laughs> okay, right, right, right. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm going to put the sound effect in. All right, I'm not going to... <laughs> I know you're not going to do it, really. <laughs> I'm going to put the sound effect in, right? Yeah. I know, you've said. Imagine the sound effect. Right, let, now let, let's, say that, let's say that I've done it now. Right, so I've slammed your head through the wall. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, slammed your head through the wall. Now, how, how are you reacting to that? I don't know. Just, just say what you would say. Say what you would say. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to edit this so that 
so that it makes sense. My instructions to you. I'm going to edit them. Yeah. So, what would you say if I slammed your head through the wall? Frank, my nephew, why have you slammed my head through the wall? Because you disagree with me and I do not like that. You should listen to me because I am better than you. I don't think you are better than me, Frank. I think you are doing this podcast and getting all this money and all these advertisers and all this. It's made you a little bit arrogant. Yeah, it's made me a little bit arrogant. I'm going to slam your head through the wall again, mate. I don't do that. I think I've got concussion or something. Well, allow me to call you an ambulance. I'll call you an ambulance right now. And I'll tell you what, you can get in the ambulance and get out. Well, I think that would be a good idea, Frank, as a matter of fact, because I do not appreciate having my head slammed through the wall. I can have an ambulance, please. Yeah, so my uncle, uh, yeah, his Are name's you? Claude Burton, uh, slammed his head through <laughs> I slammed his head through the wall. <laughs> Sorry. I know I shouldn't be laughing. <laughs> Are you calling them? I know I shouldn't be laughing, but I, you can hear him in the background, can't you? I slammed his head through the wall. <laughs> yeah, is, is he breathing? Yeah, he's breathing. Uh, more's the pity. <laughs> Frank. Frank. <laughs> yeah. This is not it's not a joke call, mate. I slammed his head through the wall. You need to come and get someone. <laughs> you need to get someone down here. It's, it's, he might be he might be dead in a minute. Are you actually on the phone? I'm just I'm, I'm admitting to the you can come and arrest me as well. I'll I'll take the rap for it. I, I admit that I did it. <clears throat> it's a, a physical assault. We're, we're recording this as well for my podcast. It's called Ragbag, and um, you know you can you can download it from all the major platforms: uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, um, other ones as well, Spotify, all that sort Tell of thing. Tell me about the video series. So I'm getting sidetracked now. Yeah, we're, I'll, I'll give you the address. Um, it's uh, we're in the Lake District. It's campsite. <coughs> Frank, are you actually on the phone? Oh, is this? Are you actually talking to someone on the phone? Did you actually dial the emergency services? Is that what you? Did you actually do that? No, it's, I'm just acting, Claude. I'm not really. I, I didn't really call anyone. Well, I did. I, I, I've hung up on them now. So, you know, I don't think you're supposed to do that, Frank. Number eight. Right, number eight, this is from the episode which is called Benedict's Back. If anyone was fooled by um, Dave Halewood doing the voice of Benedict, I don't think anyone would be fooled by this particular thing, um, which was Benedict Cumberbatch as a three-year-old child. So if you're wondering how I'd done this, I've just kind of um, found like a a YouTube video of a three-year-old child talking, and I've just sort of sampled bits of it and use those as Benedict's responses to my questions. Um, It's a little bit kind of, um, I I think I did more of this sort of thing in the early days of the podcast where it it, it kind of obviously wasn't real. I was doing, it was obviously kind of like a sketch, you know, just like a, it it was obviously like a kind of a comedy sketch that I'd incorporated within the show. 
And um, I, st- I kind of stopped doing that because I, I wanted it to all sound completely authentic, you know, like with the Claude conversations. I always wanted to always wanted it to make it sound like it was a real conversation between two people, even though it wasn't, you know. So with the with the Benedict's back stuff and with the Lazarus Newman stuff, um, you know, uh, it's kind of it's a little bit more kind of surreal which, you know, I'm, I'm really into surreal humour, you know, I, I, I really like it. Maybe I'll do more of it at some point, but um, for for now I'm kind of uh, focusing on trying to pass kind of weird things off as reality, which is a kind of surrealism in itself, I guess, but um, it's, it's a different different ball game, really. But I've included um, the, the Benedict's, Benedict's Back uh, episode in this top ten because I... Again, I I liked it. It was good. Uh, I um I kind of made myself laugh with this. So there you go. So I'm here with Hollywood's very own Benedict Cumberbatch, a method actor, as it turns out. Aren't you, Benedict? Yeah. You hear how he sounds right now? It's very impressive. He's in character, aren't you? I because he's currently working on a new film. It's a Pixar animation in which he plays the voice of a three-year-old child. How old are you now, Benedict? Three. Very good. And tell me about this new film. What's it called? Raspberries. Strawberries. Um, yeah. Okay, I see what you're doing here, mate. But this is your opportunity to promote your upcoming film. I don't think it's actually called raspberries strawberries and yeah but if you insist on that being the name i'll just have to assume you're telling the truth so just to be clear raspberries strawberries and yeah is the name of the film right and this is nothing to do with the fact that when you arrived here i agreed to make you some fruit let's try a different question when's the film coming out now we're getting somewhere Although that seems a bit soon considering the film isn't completed yet and it's CGI, so do you mean October this year? Four. Right, so it's coming out in four years' time or October the 4th, which is it? Blueberries. Back to the blueberries, right. Well, once again, let me say I do appreciate your dedication to the role. You've really embraced this new character in years to come. No doubt you'll be seen as this generation's De Niro. Although, to be fair, he didn't have to resort to doing cartoons in his glory days. Number seven. Now, number seven is uh, the Angry Edition, which was a very early one. Um, And uh, I think it's one of the first ones where I decided to really kind of play around with the the formula and um like oh this week we'll we'll do something completely different this week we'll um because i had the orange special which was great uh around the same sort of time as, as doing this so the orange special was just I, I know what i'll do this week i'll eat an orange and i'll talk about eating an orange and that's the entirety of the episode and i, I came up with this that the angry edition so the angry edition frank is going to be really angry for no apparent reason and he's just going to be absolutely seething with anger. And he's going to take it all out on the listeners. He's going to really kind of insult anyone who's chosen to <laughs> chosen to uh, download his podcast. 
are just going to get both barrels, you know. I I think it actually went went really well. I I um I wasn't sure. I haven't listened to it pretty much since I did it, which was uh, yeah, I guess three years ago now. And um, I listened back to it. it. It actually holds up very nicely. I I thought it was, I thought I was going to be horribly embarrassed by the content, but uh, actually it was. I, I was uh, I was quite impressed with myself. <laughs> I mean. Uh, I I don't know how people took it really, because uh, especially people who've kind of missed the fact that I'm in character, and they, if anyone has assumed that that is a real guy who is doing all that kind of ranting and insulting whoever it is who's listening to his podcast, um, well, they probably just think I'm a bit of a crazy dude, which is fine. They can think that if they want to, <laughs> but um, I just thought it was quite funny. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's the angry edition. There you have it. Right. You're still listening then. I politely asked you to leave me alone during my intro. Is there a reason you're still here? What do you want? Oh, you want to listen to some music? Well, this is my music. Go and get your own. Anyway, as you'll have gathered, I'm doing a slightly different kind of show today, okay? I'm like one of those guys who start getting popular and their work goes a little bit more mainstream than it used to be. And people start saying... He's lost his edge. Okay, so I'm like the opposite of that. I've gained an edge right now. What happened to him? He gained an edge. What a sellout. You know, if it suddenly became legal to kill people, I'd totally do it. Not necessarily under normal circumstances, but the mood that I'm in at the moment... I would happily machine gun anyone who even glances in my direction. For starters, I would kill all of you. Anyone who's listening to this, I would happily massacre every single one of you. And I'd feel really good about it afterwards. It would make me feel powerful. I'm just fed up of having to pretend otherwise. Having to pretend to be interested in what other people think. Having to say hello to people and exchange pleasantries about the weather. I'd be much happier throttling them to death. I know what you're thinking as well. You're right. Where are you going with all this, Frank? Is there going to be like a, a twist at the end of this little monologue of yours? Some kind of payoff or a haha just kidding no there isn't now go away delete this recording right now unsubscribe from this podcast immediately because you are not worthy of it do you understand of course you don't of course you don't understand idiots You see, the problem with this show is it's too good for its own good. 
if I'd done something a little bit less original, I could have flown right under the radar. I wouldn't have this feeling in my bones that I've got right now that people are actually listening to this. And they're not just listening to it, they're paying attention to the words that are coming out of my mouth, which puts pressure on me. You don't know what that's like, do you? It's pressurizing me into making the words good. And unfortunately for you, dear listener, I clearly don't respond well to that kind of pressure because it makes me want to do the opposite and make the words bad. So here we go. Shout out to anyone who's listening to this recording right now. Whatever your age, your gender, your nationality, your ethnicity, your social class, or wherever you are in the world, I don't care about you. I don't care about your opinions. I don't care whether you're enjoying this episode or not. But in all fairness, I hope you're not. Because I want you to go away and leave me alone. And yes, ultimately, I want you to die. That's right. If you're waiting for the punchline to this little joke of mine, you're the joke, you're the punchline. If anyone's the joke around here, it's you, okay? You know what, I'm just going to let the music play and I'm going to shut up because that's what I want you to do. I want you to be quiet. Maybe I should follow suit. Okay? I'm going to stop talking now. I'm putting my money where my mouth is. Just listen to the music. It's good this, isn't it? It's good. The thing about this show is, it's good. Ultimately, the bottom line is, this is a good show. Stop for a moment and think about that. Think about how many good things you've done with your life. This is me shutting up, being quiet, not talking anymore. You know I'm completely tempted to take a vow of silence for the rest of my life.
If I thought that would actually get me somewhere in life, if I thought that, you know, I'd achieve something by doing that, I would shut up. I would be quiet. But maybe that's not the right thing to do. Maybe I do have to carry on. Maybe I do have to carry on telling you how completely useless you are. Number six. Right, number six is uh, the roast of everything. I mean, I had to include this one, um, no doubt about that. It's, um, I think, uh, I could be wrong, but this is the, f I think it's the first episode where it's just a big load of jokes. And um, there was, because uh, prior to that, um, Frank was uh, very touchy about if, if anybody found him funny, he would, he would, he would really get angry about that and he would think that so well this is not a comedy show this is, this is a serious music program you know but uh, as time went on i think frank got into um the idea that he could he could write jokes and he could tell jokes i think with the roast of everything kind of a, a, a lot of the jokes were um were, were pretty were pretty bad <laughs> but um uh, I, I think the fact that frank thought that they were good uh, there's something in that and also they're appropriate, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. I mean, I, I don't necessarily think that they're bad jokes as such. It's difficult, isn't it? When 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 you're talking about puns, people people often leap to the conclusion that it's a bad joke because it's a pun. But uh, puns are great, you know, and there's there's uh, there's a lot to be said for the art of the pun. So I'm not I'm not putting myself down necessarily. It's just that um, I what I like about the Roast of Everything episode is the the style in which it was done. So kind of uh, there's a the very very fast kind of back and forth between uh, Frank and Uncle Claude. So Claude saying what do you think of this person and then Frank insults that person then they move on to the next person and it's it's all done in real sort of rapid fire style. 120 puns per minute that that sort of that sort of volume of punnery you know and, and it's, it's it's good so i don't know what i don't really know I, I i don't think i should really be analyzing it i think it's probably wrong to do that <laughs> i uh but you know I, I do i do i mean i do kind of privately step back and do some kind of analysis to the to the to these things you know to kind of figure out well, I like that. I think that works. Why did that work? You know, why was that good? And I think I think I've I've already answered the question in that I, the reason why the roast of everything was good is that the speed at which Frank and Claude were talking, it's it's just pleasing to hear that that those those kind of um, those kind of cheap gags, I guess, being delivered at kind of a hundred miles an hour. I like that. There, there was um, there's a TV show when I was a kid called uh, Round the Bend, and it was that there was a mouse who used to tell. It's like the puppets. It's kind of like a a puppet show for kids, and uh, it was called Round the Bend because it was set in a sewer, and there was a mouse who used to tell jokes. I think it was a mouse anyway, and um, <laughs> there was one bit where um, the, the mouse had there was like some kind of monster who was lurking in the sewer, and the mouse had to destroy the monster by 
making as many jokes as possible as he could in in a very short amount of time. So, the, yes, basically it was that. It was just like the mouse was um, just firing off these, these, you know, really bad puns at 100 miles an hour. And um, I remember as a kid, I just thought that was hilarious. I thought it was absolutely hilarious, you know. But but um, it, it's more the fact that uh, I, I like this setup. I like the idea of there being a monster that you have to kill by by telling it, like, cracker jokes you know and <laughs> it was it was a good show that round the bend um i don't know if anybody remembers that <laughs> i'm sure that it's available on youtube um it's probably terrible <laughs> but i remember it was very good i remember it was a very funny show it was on uh, children's itv that's another um a, another episode that didn't make the top 10 is the button moon one um and again it's it's uh, mostly because i compiled this top 10 before i recorded the button moon episode up I, I really really enjoyed doing the button moon one and I, I really enjoyed doing the um the the one that that was based on which was the uh the trust pilot uh episode it, uh, you know I, I was kind of reluctant to kind of do that again because the like the first one was just like me reading out reviews from trust pilot and then you know the, the second one was just me reading out the wikipedia entry for button moon <laughs> which um I, I don't know if anybody else <laughs> is is in any way interested in that but um i i just really enjoyed doing that and and i had an idea of maybe i could um have like an extra i don't know do a do a third podcast because i've got two podcasts already i'll do a third one of me just reading stuff out and just making myself laugh with the stuff that that is being read out. I mean, t- to be honest, I don't think I was. I was. I wasn't particularly in character as Frank. I was kind of doing that as myself, particularly with the Button Moon one. Like I say, that there's kind of a there's a fine line between myself and fictional Frank. But anyway, I'm getting off the beaten track now. I was. Uh, what am I introduced? Yeah, the roast of everything. I was introducing that. So there we go. What if you know? What What if John Lennon turned up? John Lennon. Yeah, what if John Lennon turned up? He's dead, mate. I know he's dead. This is a hypothetical scenario. Right. So you're asking me what I would say if I met John Lennon? Yeah. I'd say, imagine you're not here right now. It's easy if you try, John. Look, there's the door. Very good. What about Debbie Harry? I'd rather take my chance to be dirty, Harry, thanks. Get out. What if, uh... What if Bob Dylan turned up? I'd take hold of that troubadour and usher him through the door. <laughs> Do you like that? It's <laughs> a good one. Yeah, it's very good, Frank, yeah. How about uh, Gil Scott Heron? I'd say the revolution will not involve you hanging around at my place. Out you go. Billy Holiday? Have yourself a holiday on me. Your destination? Out that door. Louis Armstrong? Armstrong, is it? You don't need strong arms to open that door. It's nicely oiled. Just one small step for man and all that. The specials? I say go check out the specials in that new gastro pub round the corner instead of bothering me. It's not actually a ghost town. It's an up and coming area, this one. Jim Morrison? I say there's the front, there's the back. I call them the doors. Choose one, close it on your way out, Jim Bob. Nina Simone? I say, why don't you leave me on my Nina Simone? There's some rhyming slang I just made up. I'm sure you can figure that one out. Johnny Rotten? 
What rotten luck, you're leaving. Johnny Cash? I'll pay you cash if you leave me alone. Nick Cave? I'd say I'd rather be trapped in a cave than here talking to you. Out you go. Stevie Wonder? I'd say it's a wonder I let you in in the first place. Out you go. Aretha Franklin? I'd say it's good to see you coming out of the kitchen. <laughs> now make your way through the hallway and out that door. <laughs> Nat King Cole? I don't call him Nat King Cole. I call him Nat King. Get out of here! Grandmaster Flash? I say here's a message for you, pal. My nephew is making an obscene gesture at the moment, listeners. Moving swiftly on. Ella Fitzgerald? I say, that door is a good size, isn't it? It fits Gerald, it fits William, it fits Morris, and I'm sure it's going to fit you too. Out you go. David Bowie? I'd say, cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-change direction. But door's right there. Never mind turn and face the strain, turn and face the street. Lady Gaga? I'd say, you can't read my poker face from the other side of the door. Out you go. BB King? You better BB going, mate. Bye-bye, King. That's what I call you. Scott Walker? I say you can walk right out of here. <laughs> oh, that's a good one, yeah. yeah. Simon and Garfunkel? I say, are you going to Scarborough Fair? Out the door, turn left, follow the signs to Yorkshire. Glad to be of help. Chuck D? I say I'd chuck you out if you don't leave of your own accord. Lou Reed? I say, if you're looking for the wild side, take a walk that way, pal. Through the door. Tom Waits? I say, I don't know what you're waiting for, pal. Out the door with you. Bjork? I say, it was oh so quiet until you turned up. Out you go. Iggy Pop? I say, pop out the door there, Iggy. No need to pop back. Alicia Keys? I say, you don't need keys for the door. It's unlocked. Out you go. I'll bolt it firmly behind you. Beyonce? Be gone, says me. Elton John? I say, I think it's going to be a long, long time till you're welcome round here again. Brian Wilson? I say, you hear that, Brian? I can hear the neighbour's dog. There's a couple of cats meowing on the wall. Do you know what I call that? Pet sounds. Oh, you can't hear it. You better go through that door then, pal. Moz Def? I most definitely ask him to leave. Bobby McFerrin? I say, here's a little song I wrote. Might have to sing it. Note for note. Leave me alone. It's a very short song. The Stone Roses? If there were stone throw in that direction, I'd be happier. Happy Mondays? I say I was happy last Monday when you lot weren't here. New order? I give them the marching orders. The slits? They can slip right out of here. Minor threat? I'll be a major threat to you if you don't get out of here. Half man, half biscuit? I say I'll split you lot in half if you don't get out of here. Jurassic 5? I say let's take it back to the concrete streets. In other words, get out. De La Soul. I say, why don't you use the De La Souls of your shoes and get out of here? Method man. I say, useful method for your hair, pal. Turn the handle, pull, then put one foot in front of the other. Kate Bush. I say, frankly, I'd like to see you running up that road, running up that hill and out of here. Marvin Gay. I say, hey, Marvin, what's going on? You're out of here. That's what's going on. The Fugees. I say, the good thing about going through that door is you only need to do it one, one time. <laughs> Yeah, you got it, you got it. Number five. No, uh, number number five. Uh, I've included uh, Claude again. Claude is uh, just really dominating this top ten so far. Um, he's not in the rest of it actually. <laughs> this is Claude's final appearance in the top ten. Is but he's bro- broken into the top five. Um, yeah, this is from that first episode that I mentioned, the first Claude one. 
and um, it was uh, one of the early examples of uh, me kind of remixing myself. And uh, Claude's kind of uh, funny little remix. It it kind of it came out quite nicely. So I've included that. Here we go. Claude's funny little remix number five. You know, uh, perhaps you could have me on at some point as like a co-host or something. I mean, I'm the main host today, so maybe this you can consider this my my um audition piece if you like. Yeah, just a thought. Just a thought. You know. But, um, I'll see what I can do with my editing skills as well. I've taken a little tutorial myself on the uh, the audio editing. I'll see if I can do one of your little, your funny little remix type thing of my own monologue. I thought that that would be very funny and very original. So I might have a little go at that myself. Funny little remix. Funny little remix. I thought that that would be very funny and very original. Funny little remix. So I might have a little go at that myself. Funny little remix. Funny little remix. But um, I hope you don't mind me doing this for you. I... Welcome to Ragbag. But um, I hope you don't mind me doing this for you. I... Welcome to Ragbag. Funny little remix. Make sure that people are reassured. I thought that that would be very funny and very original. Make sure that people are reassured. Funny little remix. Funny little remix. What could possibly go wrong? 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 Funny little remix. Consider this my my um, audition piece if you like. What could possibly go wrong? Consider this my, my um, audition piece, if you like. I'm sorry, I'm very drunk. I might be repeating myself a little bit. I'm sorry, I'm very drunk. I might be repeating myself a little bit. Funny little remix. I know it does sound a bit creepy now. I say out loud again. Big creep, big creep, big creep, big creep, big creeping. Big creep, big creep, big creep, big creep, big creeping. Big creep, big creep, big creep, big creep, big creeping. Number four. Right, number four is um, from uh, Heapstreep, which is quite a recent episode. Uh, the the concept behind the Heapstreep episode, if you haven't heard it, was that Frank used to present a different podcast. Uh, I think in like two thousand and six or something like that. Like when podcasts were first coming out, he was one of the first people to do it. And so it's Frank as kind of a 26-year-old man um, talking about his girlfriend, doing like a similar show to Ragbag, but um, with a lot more kind of naivety. It's kind of um, 26-year-old Frank was quite a 
naive guy, as it turns out. Well, that that's the way it came out in that particular episode anyway. It doesn't necessarily tie in with the version of Frank who's in the books, but never mind. It's, it's a bit of a laugh, really, isn't it, at the end of the day? So, yeah, and um, yeah, I've just selected this bit from that episode because uh, I enjoyed doing the 453 song. <laughs> and um, I came up with... <laughs> I I wrote this kind of sketch about the 453 taxis the taxi company and uh, and I wrote the lyrics to the song that is in the advert um I had no I had nothing to do with it I, I had nowhere to put this sketch and I, I managed to kind of find a place for it so I I eventually found a place for it in um in um the Heapstreep episode and uh, you know i wrote it so long ago that i was there's a reference to like the blackberry phones you know which don't exist anymore i don't think um so and and also kind of using like describing the website as www dot which people used to do people used to say that all the time didn't they when someone was telling you a web address well, what's the web address for that oh well it's www dot and um you know People don't say that anymore, do they? So it's um, it's nice that the song is in context with this being 2006. That's the way that people used to talk in 2006. So it, it's pretty good. You know what? I actually am going to change the subject now. I was supposed to say this at the top of the show because I told them I would, but I forgot and I don't have time to go back because shortly I'm going to go and meet my girlfriend, man. Sorry, I'm delaying saying this even further. Let's do this. This podcast is sponsored by 453 Taxis in Newcastle-upon-Tyne. They're a great company. I've never personally used them myself, having never been to Newcastle, but I have a song here that expresses how great they are. They haven't asked me to do this, listeners. I'm doing this off my own back, because I believe in 453 Taxis. When I find myself in need of a taxi, casual call or emergency, 0845000453. And if I can't be bothered phoning, I can book online through my Blackberry, www.453.com. Four five three, four five three, four five three. www.453.com Really, this advert is only applicable to listeners who happen to be in the Newcastle area. They're not a nationwide company. Yet, eh guys? Yet. Number three. Oh, well, here we have it. I have mentioned this already. Dave Hellwood's uh, sterling performance as Benedict Cumberbatch way back in the Benedict Cumberbatch takeover. I think I was kind of um, the midway point, actually. It's something like episode 50, kind of uh, the proper kind of midway point. Definitely one of my favourite episodes. Um, I, I was pleased with the, the writing that I did for it, and I was I was very pleased with how, how Dave performed it. He, he did it perfectly. <laughs> I ought to say, I ought to mention this. Dave performed this story and uh, it required him to repeatedly use the name Nigel Planer. 
and he had to say Nigel Planer lots and lots and lots of times. As it turned out, Dave uh, wasn't entirely familiar with the pronunciation of Nigel Planer's name, <laughs> and so he he called him Nigel Planer. And uh, because I was I wasn't there for the, this is during lockdown. I wasn't there for this recording. He he recorded this at home and he sent me the audio, mispronouncing. <laughs> Nigel Planer's name repeatedly over and over and over again so I was like well either we'll have to completely re-record this which would be a shame because I'm I'm happy with it apart from this one thing and um, so we came up with this idea that Benedict Benedict is mispronouncing Nigel Planer's name because it, it kind of ties in with this idea that that Benedict calls everyone his good friend like he, he always calls Frank my, my good friend Frank Burton my good friend this my good friend that and um, obviously he's not good friends with Nigel Planer, otherwise he would know what his name was. <laughs> so, and, and there's there's a bit later on where we reference that, where he says, where Nigel Planer turns up and then Benedict challenges Nigel Planer on the pronunciation of his own name. <laughs> so that, so that, that, that was good, that was good. But uh, yeah, he, here we have it. Benedict's story from the uh, from the Benedict episode. Here we go. Now, listeners, uh, let's take our minds off all this doom and gloom, shall we? Your regular host, Frank Burton, remains critically ill in hospital. I said he's not dead, but I don't know, perhaps I was being overly optimistic. But let's forget about all that. I'll tell you a story, listeners. In order to understand this particular tale, you'll need to be familiar with... Do you ever play the Nigel Planner game? You know Nigel Planner, right? The actor. You know Nigel, right? Maybe the Americans don't. He was in a sitcom in the 1980s, but you know he's done lots of other things. As a matter of fact, that's the beauty of the Nigel Planner game. You see, he keeps cropping up on television. Bit parts here and there. He doesn't just do comedy, he's versatile. I saw him play a paedophile once. He was a very good paedophile. As a matter of fact, I'd go as far as to say he was an astounding paedophile, worthy of an award. I've seen plenty of other fine performances too. Well, I say fine. It was adequate. Only joking, Nigel. Love you. Mwah. We actually go back a long way, myself and Nigel Planner. Sorry to keep dropping names like this. I just caught myself doing the nod, Frank. Good job this is audio, eh? But we do go back a long way, myself, Nigel Planner. He was very supportive of me in the early days. Gave me some sterling advice, although I've forgotten what it was now. Also, he bribed a police officer once, who was right there with handcuffs and ready to arrest me. I won't go into the circumstances now. That reminds me, I still owe Nigel £18,000. Alexa, if you're listening, could you please arrange that for me? It's more of a personal favour, but... I'm having trouble connecting to the internet. Anyway... The Nigel Planner game. It's rather like one of those drinking games, really. You know, where you're with a group of friends and you're watching... Let's say you're watching Federico Fellini's La Dolce Vita. And you have to take a swig of your champagne every time someone says ciao. The Nigel Planner game is the same as that, only there's no drinking involved. All you have to do whenever you're watching TV and Nigel pops up unexpectedly doing another one of his bit parts, you just have to point at the screen and shout, Oh look, it's Nigel Planner. It really is as simple as that. Listen, it may not mean that much to you listeners, particularly those of you who don't know who Nigel Planner is, but 
It means something to me and my friends in the acting community. We get a lot of enjoyment from it. As a matter of fact, it's not usually something I would mention. It's a private little pastime of ours, that's all. But I have to bring it up now in order for this story to make sense. You see, a few years ago, Nigel had landed the role of Malvolio in Twelfth Night at Chichester Festival Theatre. Myself and a group of friends bought a bunch of tickets and made our way down for the opening night. At that time, I'd quite forgotten about the Nigel Planner game. It had been a while since I'd participated myself because I hadn't caught one of his TV appearances for some time. To be honest, I'd almost forgotten that the game existed. The game itself went completely unmentioned amongst myself and my group of friends. We arrived early, had a few glasses of wine, made our way to our seats. Thus far, it was a perfectly normal evening out until Malvolio stepped onto the stage and in perfect unison, and at a rather embarrassing volume, myself and each of my companions shouted, Oh look, it's Nigel Planner! You see, the thing about the Nigel Planner game is, the game itself doesn't really have a beginning or an end. There are no winners, no points being totaled up. Essentially, once you begin playing the Nigel Planner game, you are destined to continue playing the Nigel Planner game forevermore. Nigel was put off only for a second. A consummate professional. He continued performing. All around us, various audience members were muttering, Who let these hooligans in here? And words to that effect. I tried to continue watching the play as though nothing had happened, but my friends were giggling too much. I giggled too, because it was infectious, and because something rather amusing had just happened. Malvolio left the stage, and when he returned for his next scene... It seemed only natural for me to shout out again, but this time I stopped myself. Think of the theatre, I told myself. Think of this great institution. But somehow the words came out anyway. I heard them, clear as day. Oh look, it's Nigel Planner. I turned to reprimand my friends, but it wasn't them either. The shout had come from the other side of the room. And now the man directly behind me was shouting it out too. Oh, look, it's Nigel Planner. And an old lady right down on the front row, just feet away from Malvolio, shouted, Oh, look, it's Nigel Planner. What had we started, and how could it be stopped? I began to see ushers frantically pacing up and down the aisles, shining their tiny torches at potential sources of the disturbance. But sadly for them, there were simply too many sources. The shouts were emanating from all eight corners of the room. The theatre is hexagonal, by the way. Nigel, bless his cotton socks, completely ignored the mention of his name and pressed ahead, as did his colleagues on stage. And so it went on. Thank heavens there was an interval coming up. Perhaps the audience, myself included, would be given a stern talking to by the theatre manager before the next act commenced and this silly act of sabotage could be put to rest. But there was no interval. It was my understanding that there would be a break at the end of Act 2. But here we were, straight into Act 3, Scene 1. And those drink orders we made earlier were suddenly obsolete. This wasn't about the drinks, of course. I was concerned that uncontested the rabble we were sitting amongst could bring the whole production to a standstill. Also, it's Shakespeare, for God's sakes. Who wants to see Shakespeare without the courtesy of a toilet break? But the theatre had spoken. We'd been bad children and playtime had been cancelled as a consequence. Yet it seemed like my rowdy classmates were undeterred. 
On Malvolio's next appearance, virtually every person in that large hexagonal room pointed in the character's direction and yelled, Oh look, it's Nigel Planner! One man down the far end appeared to be playing his own game. Every now and again he'd hiss, Yes, we've got a video! This was worse than pantomime. By the end, I too was caught up in the moment. At the end of the play, as Nigel took his bow, I was shouting, Oh look, it's Nigel Planner! Just as enthusiastically as everyone else. Not that Nigel would have recognised my voice amongst the din of the crowd. The lights went up, and for the first time since that first fateful shout echoed through the room, the audience were able to take a good look at each other. No one could manage eye contact. Had we simply made fools of ourselves, or had something else happened? Something deeper? I don't recall ever having had such an affinity with an audience before. Neither as actor nor puntor. We entered the bar, which was closed, and just beyond it was an expanding sea of uniformed police officers. Is this why they cancelled the interval? I wondered. So they had time to arrange for enough police officers to arrest the entire audience? Wait a minute. Is that what's happening? I thought. They can't arrest the entire audience. What crime have we committed? Also, they can't arrest me. Don't they know who I am? I wasn't willing to stick around and see if the arresting officer recognised me from Sherlock. I knew this theatre. I'd done Pinter there a few years back. There's a secret back exit. I couldn't possibly tell you where. All I can say is me and my friends got out. We had to vault over a fence into a sports field, then snuck through a gap in the fence, leading through to the university campus. Then an old man in a strange outfit stepped out from behind a tree. I assumed it was one of the lecturers. Then I heard myself whisper, Oh look, it's Nigel Planner. Nigel grinned victoriously. I knew you'd take the secret back entrance, Benedict Cumberbatch, he said, deliberately mispronouncing my surname as a double expletive. Who are these clowns you've brought with you? I cleared my throat. Ah, I said, well, Nigel, allow me to introduce my good friend, Martin Freeman, my good friend, Kate Winslet, my good friend, Steve Buscemi, and Michael McIntyre. I've never heard of these people. And you can wipe that smile off your face. I know it was you who started all this, oh, look, it's Nigel Planer business, he said, deliberately mispronouncing his own surname. I'm sorry, I said. The trouble is, once you start playing the Nigel Planner game, you are always playing the Nigel Planner game. Oh, it's a game, is it? It might be a game to you, Cumberbatch. It's an actual game, though, said my good friend, Kate Winslet. Really? What are the rules? There's only one rule, I cut in. But it's not important right now. What's important is, we're very sorry, and I will pay you back that £18,000 as soon as is humanely possible. I didn't bring that up, said Nigel. But seeing as you did, I'd hardly call ten years as soon as is humanely possible, would you, Benedict? It was an oversight, I said. Seriously, Alexa, help me out here. I will forget... Again. I'm having trouble connecting to the internet. Anyway, 
after we apologised to my good friend Nigel Planner, we went off for a drink. All was forgiven. Nigel even saw the funny side in the end, I think. They still arrested everybody else. The entire audience, aside from those of us who absconded. I'm pretty sure that's unprecedented. I mean, when Lincoln was shot, they didn't actually arrest the entire audience. <laughs> what tomfoolery. I suppose that's how they do things in Chichester. It's basically a police state. But that is a whole other story. Number two. Right, uh, number two is, um, of course, Hodgepodge with Bert Finkelstein. This is a, another collaboration. It, so my friend Brad, Brad Dorenkamp, um, he came up with this idea of... Um, so the premise for the episode was Brad's idea. He said, um, why don't we do this episode where you have an American presenting the show, but it's not ragbag, it's uh, like a replica like an American, Americanized replica version of the show. So, um, and uh, I like that idea, you know. And um, Brad's a great guy. He he does some uh, great work in the uh, the podcasting world. You should uh, check out uh, all of his stuff um, at Sixes and Sevens. Uh, I uh, highly recommend that. Um, and he also co-hosts the Deuce podcast, D E U C E, and um, A B C D bags which was great I, I appeared on abcd bags as well um so yeah i mean i've uh, collaborated with this guy before um he's really cool it was his idea um so i kind of uh went away and kind of wrote a script for him to perform as bert finkelstein um which is my american counterpart the, the basic premise is that there, there is a guy in america who is doing a very similar show to frank and he's got kind of weird similarities in terms of their life experiences he even has an uncle with a squeaky voice uncle clive kind of uh joins in on the conversation <laughs> i mean i'm going into kind of you know some some weird kind of this is obviously fake type territory which is fine you know it's it was a it doesn't have to all be entirely convincing, you know. It was just good fun. It was just good fun to do. Um, so, uh, as you can tell with me placing it at number two in this list. So, yeah, here's um, here's Brad Dorenkamp as Bert Finkelstein. When I was seven years old, my dad called me into his room, where he spent most of his time when I was at home. He mostly watched football and the news in there and stayed out of me and my mom's way. But today, he had something to tell me, something important he needed to explain. I sat down next to him on the bed. He said, Bert, I need to tell you something, man to man. I'm not a man, Dad, I reminded him. But you will be one day, son, he said. So it's super important that you know about the birds and the bees. I know that already, I said. We did this whole school project on honeybees. But do you know how they reproduce, he said. What does that mean? Well, this is all leading up to me explaining how babies are made. Okay, I said. How are babies made? 
uh, I have to tell you about baby birds and baby bees first. It's easier that way. Uh, and then we can circle back to uh, people. My, my dad launched into a very long and detailed explanation of, of how reproduction works in the plants and the animal kingdom, finishing up with birds and their eggs. This speech of his seemed to stretch on for hours, but I didn't mind it too much. It was nice to actually spend time with my dad. He was usually so busy with his TV. So what about people, I said. How do people do it? Hang on, he said. Sorry, Bert. I misjudged how long this was going to take. Football's back on. Get out of here. I need to concentrate on the game. Should we pick up when the game's over, I said. Sure, he muttered. His eyes were already glued to the screen. I went off and played with my train set downstairs. A couple hours later, I returned to my dad's room. The game was finished, and he was sleeping soundly. My mom called me down for dinner. My dad never ate with us. He was always on his own schedule. A special diet, as he used to call it. Later in life, I learned that my dad's special diet mostly consisted of KFC in the early hours of the morning. But anyway... At dinner, I asked my mom where babies came from. She said, I'll tell you when you're older. I said, Dad was just about ready to tell me, but he fell asleep. He told me how plants and animals and birds do it. Uh, there are a lot of different methods. I just need to know which method humans use. My mom had her hands clasped over her mouth. Are you okay? I said quickly. My mom pulled her hand away and straightened herself up. Your dad shouldn't have told you all that stuff. You're too young. This is grown-up business, Bert. I'll have to talk with your father. Don't go asking him again. I wonder what the big secret was. What was so horrible about how humans reproduced? By the sound of things, I'd have to wait until I was old enough to watch horror movies to get the information I wanted. Lying in bed that night, I started thinking about the birds and the bees. Specifically the birds. It seemed to me the most likely explanation was that humans reproduced in much the same way that birds did. By fertilizing an egg. Laying it in a nest and waiting it for it to hatch. I'd heard about women going to the hospital and coming out with babies. Maybe that's where all the human nests were kept. It stood to the reason that a human nest would be much bigger than a bird's nest. So they would need a big building, like a hospital, to keep them in. I wanted to ask my parents about all this in the morning, but my mom was so horrified by me asking even a basic question about where babies came from, so I guess I would just have to wait until I was older. As the years went by, I didn't think much more about it. Occasionally I would ask my mom where babies came from. Again, I was told I was too young. Somewhere along the line, my assumptions that humans lay eggs and kept them in nests in a maternity ward became rock-solid fact in my mind. In the absence of evidence to the contrary, this was my truth. When I was 10, my mother took me out of public school to homeschool me. Yes, that's right, Mr. Turquoise Mongrel, or whatever your name is. You're pretty perceptive. I was for sure bullied in school, or so the story goes. I don't actually remember being pushed around particularly. I later suspected my mother used bullying as an excuse to take me out of school because her overactive, paranoid imagination made her unreasonably suspicious of the education system. 
Some nights the two of us would be forced to sleep on cots in the basement, afraid of UFO attacks. But that's another story. As a consequence of my homeschooling, I missed out on sex ed altogether. Even in my mid-teens, my mom was still telling me I wasn't old enough yet. Inevitably, I missed out on a lot of socializing too. I was allowed to hang out with a few kids in the neighborhood in small doses. For a while, I was the cool kid on the block. Literally too cool for school. I loved making up stories about my home life while they were all working hard. I'd sleep in until noon. My mom would wake me up with chocolate ice cream for brunch. Then we'd watch a few educational shows on TV, and I'd play video games for the rest of the afternoon. All obvious fiction, of course, but my buddies seemed happy to play along. When I was 16, I was invited to a house party a couple of streets over. My mom was reluctant to agree, but I promised I'd be back by midnight and stay away from drugs or alcohol. I had my first taste of beer that night. I pretended to enjoy it. There were a few kids there who I hadn't seen since I left school. I felt weird seeing them all grown up. I guess it was weird for them too. They huddled around me asking me questions about my home life. Figured my stories of ice cream brunches and video games weren't probably going to cut it with this crowd. So I told them the truth. I hated it and I couldn't wait to leave home. Someone pointed out a girl at the other end of the room who I recognized from school. Notice that she's not drinking, he whispered. Why do you think that is? His friends were looking over and giggling. Uh, maybe she doesn't like it, I said. How about Brian Murphy knocked her up? One of them said. Knocked her up how? I said. Jesus, Finkelstein. You don't know what knocked up means? Doesn't your mom teach you about sex ed? Trust me, I said, definitively. My mom gives me plenty of sex education. The guys busted out laughing. I didn't know what I said wrong, but I made note never to say it again. So she's, I said, she's having a baby, Finkelstein. Right, I said. Okay, interesting. I paused and God knows why, but it just came out. I said, so when is she going to lay the egg? Their laughter was like nothing I have ever heard. But that was just the beginning. They were calling their friends over. Hey, Joe. Hey, Matt. Hey, Paul. You're never going to guess what Finkelstein just said. It wasn't long before the story had spread through the entire house. Both floors. Wherever I stepped, my fellow 16-year-olds were pointing, laughing, repeating the words. So, when's she going to lay the egg? And laughing some more. It was at least two years before I went to another party. As much as I tried to keep a low profile, whenever I left the house, I was guaranteed to pass some local kids at some point. And whoever they were, whether I knew them or not, they would point at me and shout, So when's she gonna lay the egg? It's been a long time since I got back to my hometown. By the way, I received the answer about where babies came from shortly after that party. I gave up asking my mom. It was the 90s. Instead of asking my parents, I asked Jeeves. And I must say, Jeeves was pretty helpful. 
Jeeves was more than forthcoming on the subject of where babies come from. You could say, over the months that followed, besides being thoroughly humiliated, I was getting to be highly educated. And, drum roll please, number one. So, uh, here's number one. I don't think I can say anything about this, <laughs> really. Uh, I don't think I can add anything to it, is what I'm trying to say. I described it at the time as, as the best shout-out ever. And, um, yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it is. I don't know. Um, I um, But, yeah, it, it seemed appropriate, considering that I had already described it as the best thing that I've done. It's it's appropriate for me to have this at in the number one slot, in the, the top ten of Ragback. So, here we have it. Thank you for uh, thank you for listening in advance. Um, I, I will do the whole thank you for listening thing at the end, just to uh, just for continuity, really. But um, yeah, we'll play this and then we'll we'll get out of here, man. Um, this has been going on for quite a while, hasn't it? Um, this episode that is <laughs> the, the podcast in general has been going up quite well that's why i got to wrap things up but uh yeah the, i'm doing more um ragbag's fourth walls i'm going to be talking about some other things as well kind of influences talking about influences on uh on me and the podcast um so i'm going to do an episode where i talk about books that have influenced me so that'll be interesting and uh other podcasts that have influenced Ragbag, so I'll be talking about those, and I'll do an episode where I talk about music, just from you know from the from the point of view of me, who is Frank Burton, the real one, and not the fake one. So um, yeah, I mean the, the fa- it's difficult to talk about music as the fake one because it, you know the the fake one is kind of kind of trapped in his own little world, really. <laughs> so um it's nice to kind of break the fourth wall and, and talk about music properly so we will do that yeah but um here we go here's number one it's the best shout out ever first of all here as promised a few seconds ago is and no offense meant to anyone else but here is the best shout out request we've ever had it's rather a long one it's going to take me about 10 minutes to read the whole thing out so bear with me Shout out to Harlow. Harlow says, Frank, I'm a big fan of musicals, but my dad never wants to take me to the theatre. He keeps saying he will, but I end up getting duped. I said I wanted to see cats, so he took me to see some cats. I see where this is going, Harlow. It's a joke, isn't it? Very good. Harlow continues, I wanted to go and see Joseph and his amazing technical dream coat. He took me to the centre of a hedge maze to see a guy called Joseph making off-colour remarks in a trench coat. It's not the same thing. I wanted to see Hamilton. He took me to see a ton of diseased ham. I wanted to see Les Miserables. I mispronounced it as Les Miserables, so he took me to see a really miserable bloke called Les. Wizard of Oz, Australian practitioner of contemporary paganism. Wicked? That was a fun day out. We went to visit Peter Sutcliffe in prison. Carousel I anticipated incorrectly. 
I said, I know where you're taking me, one of those fairground rides with the horses on. Credit where it's due, my dad thought outside the box. He booked me a week of work experience in a warehouse carrying boxes of French salt. At this point, Harlow adds in parentheses, I'm only seven years old. You're very articulate for a seven-year-old, Harlow. Congratulations to whoever it is who teaches you these things. He continues, Blood Brothers is the name of a stage musical. Turns out it's also the name of a family-run transfusion service in Watford. I've been there now. His tricks started getting more and more expensive. Greece? Two weeks holiday in Rhodes. Spamalot? Slightly less enjoyable, he took me to a Russian bot farm. I wanted to see high society. My dad took me to visit a nomadic tribe in the Himalayas. I said, thanks dad, very interesting from an anthropological point of view. But wouldn't it have been easier to take me to the actual musical high society? Discount seats available for the matinee. I wanted to see Fiddler on the Roof. He took me to see a professional violinist giving a lap dance to the crime novelist Ruth Rendell. One day a young woman knocked on our door. I opened it. She didn't say anything, just exhaled in an audible display of disappointment. Then she left. I said, who was that, Dad? He said, that was Miss Sai gone. You said you wanted to see her. I was quite looking forward to seeing what he came up with for Forbidden Planet. Maybe we'd go into space. We didn't make it that far, but we did fly to the United States. We went for lunch at Planet Hollywood with Joe Biden and three other members of the Biden family. I was like, I don't get it. He said, for Biden, for Biden. Like forbidden, but it's not called bidden, it's called Biden, so it doesn't quite work. I applauded his efforts nonetheless. When we arrived back at Manchester Airport, my dad said, You know what? We're only 20 minutes away from the Hat Museum in Stockport. We drove down there, had a look around. There's a big dress-up section where you can try on a bunch of different stuff. There was a beret hanging from a hook really high above all the others. My dad had to stand on a stepladder to reach it. He pulled it down and said, There you go, top hat. I said I didn't actually request that one. He said, Yeah, but the opportunity was right there. I couldn't resist it. On bonfire night, we drove 300 miles down to the southwest to visit this obscure backwards little village where people still burn effigies of Guy Fawkes. He left me in the hotel room while he prowled through the village, stealing as many Guy Fawkes effigies as he could find. He brought them all back to the hotel room alongside a bunch of Barbies he'd nicked from a toy shop. He carried them all up to the room, his arms bulging with loot. I said, don't tell me, guys and dolls, right? Very good. He said, yeah, not just guys and dolls. Check this out. He pressed a button on the side of one of the dolls. The dolls said, hello. I said, what? Hello, Dolly. 
my dad whispered helpfully. All right, I said. You know, I'm starting to really enjoy these little tricks you've been playing on me, Dad. They were annoying at first, but they've turned into these mini-adventures. I agree, he said. I think it's brought the two of us closer together. Anyway, you better be off to bed now. Seeing as we're in the West Country, I've booked us an appointment to see the local Conservative MP, or as I like to call him, West Sides Tory. Harlow has added an aside here. The Americans probably won't get that one. He is very insightful for a seven-year-old, isn't he? Harlow continues. My dad's next couple of tricks were easy enough for him to arrange. Rent? He showed me a copy of his bank statement. Cabaret? A taxi ride with a man called Ray. Then I asked him to take me to see The Rocky Horror Show. He said, OK, but just so you know, this is going to take a while. My dad enrolled himself onto a master's degree course for advanced film editing. He spent the next six months creating his own bootleg mashup version of the films Rocky and The Exorcist. The end results were extraordinary. He managed to seamlessly weave one narrative into another, somehow creating the impression that not only were both stories happening at the same time, but they were somehow interrelated. Rocky was the priest's brother. Very impressive. Anyway, he called it the Rocky Horror Show, so that was that one done. I'm sorry to say, the good times didn't last forever. But even during our toughest days, we managed to keep ourselves amused with a musical sting. When my dad's health deteriorated and he needed a liver transplant, he just smiled and said, Well, I suppose that's O-liver done. O-liver, O-liver, never before has a boy requested a liver transplant. When we ran out of money and had bailiffs raid our house and take all our valuables, all my dad could say was, I suppose that's anything goes, struck off the list. One of the bailiffs was female. I don't want to sound patronising in any way, but it was refreshing to see a woman breaking her way into a male-dominated field like that. Good for her. She was going to take one of my remote control cars when my dad snapped at her. Come on, have a heart. Don't touch the toys. She apologised and backed away from the car. I said, there goes my fair lady. We laughed and we laughed. One day, while we were in temporary accommodation, living off toast and pot noodles, I said to my dad, you know when we're back on our feet? I'd love to go and see Chicago. I knew you were going to say that, he said. It might be a long time before we can afford any more flights to America. But you know what? I've managed to save a little. I've got some cash that I've been keeping aside for a trip I've been planning. He booked it that afternoon. Train tickets to London and tickets to see Chicago, the actual musical, in a West End theatre. We had a few weeks to wait, but before I knew it, I was sitting there with my dad watching the show. And it was every bit as marvellous as I'd imagine it would be. 
my dad loved it too. He was really emotional at the end. He hugged me and said, I'm so sorry I never got round to taking you before. That's okay, I said. We're here now. I found myself singing one of the songs from the show as my father's tears rained down on my head. Thank you for listening. Uh, Once again, there will be more of these Ragbag's Fourth Walls coming up, so check those out. Uh, Also check out the I Like The Sound podcast, which is my other podcast. Um, Do the other stuff as well, Um, the stuff that I usually say over the outro. Do all of that stuff as well. Go to frankburton.co.uk and uh, check out my books, A History of Sarcasm, 100, Everything I Am, and Getting Away With It. Soon there'll be another one as well.